You know, in the movie Forrest Gump, I don't know if it's an older movie now, but a movie worth seeing, Forrest Gump, the central character, famously said, Mama always said that life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And uh, there's a certain truth to that uh, statement because just as we like some chocolates, you know, you get the boxes of chocolates at Christmas time, dairy milk or black magic or whatever, and you, you pick out the ones you like and you leave the ones you don't like, hoping somebody else will, will take them. Uh, and, and so there's a certain truth to what Forrest Gump said, that life is like a box of chocolates. And life is a mixture uh, of experiences which we like and then some experiences that we don't like. And, uh, you know, suppose I was to offer you a life, a life that uh, guaranteed to give you uh, an assurance of eternal life, uh, a blessedness that uh, is life to its fullest measure, a joy that's greater than any other, a, a peace that passes all understanding in every circumstance you could imagine. Would you be interested? I hope you would. Well, I can't give you that sort of life, but Jesus can give it to you. Jesus can give it to you. We're picking up this morning uh, really part two of, of a three-part sermon series uh, that I began before I left, exploring life from God's perspective, life as God intends it to be. Because Paul declared, didn't he, in Acts 17 and verse 28, that it was in him, in God, that we live and we move and we have our very being. It seems like a lifetime ago, but uh, but three weeks ago, we looked at what it meant to live the Spirit-led life, uh, and we, we examined that. Uh, and I'm sure Mark, uh, Mark has reinforced that thought and reality in his Sunday night messages. And, and today, we're going to turn our attention to what God says about another dimension of life as God intends it to be, abundant life, abundant life. And then tonight, if you're able to come back, we'll focus on another vital dimension of life uh, that's critical, that's essential. If we're to know God, we're to be sure of heaven. We're going to look at eternal life, eternal life. So let's turn to John's gospel, John chapter 10. I'm uh, going to read uh, just the first 10 verses, if you have your Bibles there. And then I'm just going to read a verse from, uh, from Romans. You don't need to turn to that, but Romans 15. But anyway, in John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking and he says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep, gate, or the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way as a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will not follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, he said, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All whoever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But look at this verse. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or have life in Abundance, abundant life. Uh, and then Paul writing to the church in Rome in chapter 15, in the middle of uh, what he was saying, he says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him, so that you may overflow, have abundance with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we know God will bless even the reading, public reading of his word. 
You know, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're just really beginning to live at that moment. If you've never accepted Christ, then your life will eventually lack real love, real peace, real joy, and you're headed towards eternal death, not eternal life. We can either have eternal life, and I'll talk more about that tonight, an abundant life here with heaven waiting for us, or we can have Satan's so-called good life with eternal death waiting for us just over the hilltop, so to speak. It's our choice. And Jesus made it plain in John chapter 10, verse 10, we just read it. The thief does not come except to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. And who here doesn't yearn uh, really to live a fully satisfied life, a life of abundance that's, that's infused with contentment and, and joy? As we all know, life has a way of tripping us up, of knocking us down many, many times. So how can we experience this abundant life, life at its best, life as God intends for it to be for us, as he promises? Jesus said in John 3 and 16, didn't he, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And to have eternal life is great, as we learn tonight, but there's much, much more, because Christ came that we might have life abundantly, abundant life. And even on the last night before his crucifixion, Jesus was still teaching his disciples many important truths. And at one point he said, John 15 and 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy might remain in, remain in you and that your joy may be full. There may be abundance. And on the same occasion, knowing that they would be sorrowing, sorrowing at his death, Jesus added in chapter 16, you will weep and mourn for uh, a while uh, while the world rejoices and you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy and I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Powerful promises for every Christian that if we're really pleasing God, seeking to please him, if we're seeking to obey God, there's nothing anyone can do, and there's nothing that any circumstance can do that can take our joy away. And it's been God's intention from the beginning that his people enjoy life to the full. Are you enjoying life to the full these days? Did you ever stop to think that the God of the Bible, that God himself, is the happiest being in the universe? David understood that when he said in Psalm 16 11, in your presence, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. And what David is saying is that God intends that we live a life of fullness and joy, the very same kind of joy that God himself experiences. The Apostle Jude, verse 24 added that God wants to present you faultless before his presence, the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy. And folks, if this is our ultimate destiny, why would God expect his people to merely endure life? Yes, this life is a time of lesson, lesson learning, including through some trials and difficulties and temptations, but it's also a forerunner in a very small way of what abundant life and eternal life is intended to be. It would make no sense for God to expect life to consist only of suffering and pain now as a preparation for perfect joy and abundant and eternal life later. You see, all believers have eternal life, but not all believers have abundant life. It's a strange thing. It's an oxymoron. As believers, we're called to have abundant life. 
but some Christians have eternal life, but uh, are living a lesser life. Uh, we're living beneath our privileges, if you like, because if we're a believer and we're uh, if we're not enjoying the abundant life, then we're living beneath what God intends. The abundant life is choosing God's best for our lives by being faithful and obedient to Him. His best, not necessarily our best. The selfishness that's within us pushes us towards what we think is good for us. But God is saying, I've got something that's even better. That means to grow spiritually and more consistent in our walk day by day, worshiping and witnessing with confidence because we only have one life to get it right. And as you've begun your journey to heaven, wouldn't, wouldn't it be a shame not to live life abundantly and enjoy the journey? In fact, I'd go so far as to say it's foolish. It's even rude of us not to live this life. It's like being invited to a nice restaurant by someone who's got plenty of money, got everything. They want to bless you with a wonderfully abundant, all-you-can-eat buffet feast. Who doesn't like a good buffet? Especially if somebody else is paying for it. And so you go there and you just nibble at the salad or you take a little bite of a bread roll and you say, ah, no thanks, I don't want your lobster, I don't want your steak, I don't want your ribs. I think I'll just have some pot noodle instead. That'd be terrible. That'd be an offense to the person who brought you out. Never has the world had so much. And yet life seems to be so miserable for many people. There's depression, there's unhappiness, there's confusion, there's frustration, there's fear, there's anger, dissatisfaction, emptiness everywhere you look. And sadly, that sometimes translates into things like divorce, drug or alcohol abuse, pornography, suicide, emotional disorders, and many other negative, destructive behaviors. For many people, life is nothing more than, than the time spent between birth and death. That's all life is. The drudgery of existence, the monotony of routine, the hope of holding on and having enough until the end. And you know, advances in technology and, and scientific knowledge haven't brought the happiness that we, we thought would accompany them. And neither have so-called labor-saving devices that were supposed to bring people more leisure time to, to enjoy themselves. It's the opposite. People are busier than ever. So what's the solution? Materialism and wealth? What's the solution? Pleasure, entertainment, power and prestige? Listen, when Jesus tells us that we can have abundant life, he's not talking about the so-called prosperity gospel that some unscrupulous televangelists may teach. As soon as we confess Christ as Savior and we seek to make him Lord of our lives, you know, Satan will set about his diabolical, his, uh, his, his methodical ways to divert us and destroy our attempts to find this abundant life in Jesus. Jesus warned us in Matthew 7, wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate, narrow is the road that leads to life. Only a few find it. You know, many uh, millions of people probably view Christianity as little more than a series of thou shalt not, thou shalt not, rather than the path to enjoying a wonderful, abundant life of freedom in Christ. People often think that accepting Jesus means that the fun in life will end if they obey God, that Christianity is supposed to be endured rather than enjoyed. And because of that, Christians, uh, many of them are fooled into settling for a kind of a feel-good type of theology. 
an emotional feeling that's always going to be just a temporary high. And they equate that with happiness. They don't understand that this abundant life can be theirs because God never instructs us or commands us to avoid anything unless it's for our good. Many things seem like fun, but they carry a delayed penalty. And Satan knows that many of us can't handle delayed gratification. We've got to have it now. And so there are many avenues down which we can travel that that don't really lead to life, but in the end lead to destruction. And, And while we would never call these pursuits thieves or robbers, that's what Jesus called them. The thief comes to kill and destroy. You see, abundant life can't be found in pleasure. Try as we may the pursuit of pleasure to provide us with life. It's the law of diminishing returns. It eventually, you know, runs out and it takes a bigger thrill. It takes a a bigger uh, event to bring another high. It never lasts. Ecclesiastes 1 and 8 says, no matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are never content. I wonder, does that describe someone this morning? Life, uh, abundant life can't be found in pleasure alone. Abundant life can't be found in performance. You know, a a recent Wimbledon tennis champion thought that his life, uh, his life that, uh, you know, winning his first major tournament would uh, result in in, in happiness like he'd never known. But he said in an interview afterwards, the thrill of victory lasts about 15 minutes. Eventually, workaholics, and there may be some here this morning, learn that the satisfaction of one job completed is short-lived and they have to get on to something else. Some people are deluded into thinking that if they stay busy enough, if their pace of life remains at an intense level, that that's the key to fulfilling and and to abundant life. But all they experience really is stress and ulcers and heart attacks. Abundant life can't be found simply in performance. And neither can it be found in possessions. Materialism and the accumulation of more stuff that takes a kind of a yard sale or a car boot sale to get rid of eventually something we're all prone to. Whether it's a gadget that you're coveting or a a game you have to buy or a brand that you have to wear. Basically, materialism suggests a yardstick for success. The more you own, the more enjoyable and satisfying your life will be, but it's a lie. Most of the world's richest people have confessed that while they have everything this world can offer, they're never satisfied and they're often very lonely. (coughs) But we're prone to that, to think that this is going to make life better for us. You know, Pat and I used to go religiously, in a small or sense, to the Ideal Home Exhibition in Belfast. And we'd go and we'd walk around all of the displays, all of the the, the stuff, and there'd be people there and they'd be selling the latest gadget, you know, and demonstrating it. Oh, look look at this, it slices and dices, and, and, you know, you can make things out of it and everything. You think, oh, you know, we need that. You know, and, uh, you know, you buy one, you know, you get, get two for one. And it's like an offer you can't refuse. And then they'll throw in an extra one for your friend. You've been to those sort of things, haven't you? And we get sucked in to thinking that, well, these things are going to be, but you know what? They're lying in my cupboard. They never get used. These thieves masquerade as givers of life, but they're really dispensers of destruction and despair. And eventually death, because the truth is that abundant life is not found in pleasure or performance or possessions. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus says time and time again that he's the author and the giver of life. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
But the most powerful statement he made was in John 10 and 10 that we read. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or in abundance. And the I is emphatic, meaning that life is found in no other than him. And for us to properly understand this, we, we must understand the context in which he said it here in John chapter 10 and the special relationship that exists between the shepherd and his sheep. And I know that some of you here are, are sheep farmers. So you'll understand this maybe more than some, some others of us. Jesus said in John 10 and 7, I am the gate or I am the door for the sheep. And it stretches the imagination to think that a person is acting as a gate or as a door, but that's just what a shepherd did back in the day, particularly one who was devoted to his sheep. One day, a man called George Adam Smith, an Englishman who traveled extensively in the Middle East, came across a sheepfold, and he said to the shepherd, is that enclosure where the sheep go at night? And the shepherd said, yes, that's where they, that's where they are at night, and they're perfectly safe. And George Smith uh, observed, but there's no door. There's just an opening. To which the shepherd replied, yes, I'm the door. And he was puzzled. And, and he said, but what do you mean you're the door? And the shepherd said, when the light has gone out, the sheep are inside, I lie across that open space. And no sheep ever goes out but across my body. And no wolf comes in unless they cross my body. I am the door. And when Jesus said he's the door of the sheep, he meant that the fold had only one entrance. Life is only one source. Spiritual nourishment is obtained one way. And heaven can only be entered through one door. And the single means of access to all that is life is Jesus. Now you, might, you might want to say, well, hang on a minute now. Don't I already have life? You know, I'm, I'm here this morning. I'm breathing. My heart's pumping blood. The answer is yes, of course you do. But that's not the life that Jesus is talking about. The abundant life that Jesus promises that we can receive and experience is infinitely and, and eternally different than the physical life that we possess. The Greek language of the New Testament employed different words to communicate various things, and they're only available in one word in English. And, 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 and such is true with this concept of abundant life. They had at least six different words to clarify its meanings, but there's two words for life that will bring what I'm talking about into focus. The first word is bios, from which we get the word biology. It refers to the duration of life, our physical lifespan, if you like, the date, time from our birth to our death. It's about the necessities of life, food, shelter, clothing, our physical and material life, bios. But the second word they used for life was zoe, Z-O-E. <coughs> that refers to life as God intends for us to be, the spiritual life that belongs to God and becomes ours when we enter into an eternal relationship with him. This life is not limited by time. It's not hindered by death. It's not a, a possession, but rather an indwelling. God, by his Holy Spirit, breathing his life into us again and again as we trust him and as we obey him. And, and it was Paul who testified, as we said right at the beginning of the service, it's not only I that live, but Christ that liveth in me. See, when we were born, we were given bios life. But when we're born again, we're given Zoe, life. So until we cross the doorway of Christ, until we enter into a relationship with God through him, we may be physically alive, but spiritually we're dead. However, as Christians, Jesus goes on to tell us that the capacity of this life is to have it to the full. 
And depending on the translation, it might be abundantly or fullness or overflowing. Uh, and each indicates what it means to have a superabundance, to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to grow in our knowledge of who he is and his, in, into his likeness is to have the superabundance of life. It's like a life upgrade, a new vitality, a new energy, a new purpose, a new outlook, new hope, a new joy. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, suppose you, uh, you know, you booked or you reserved a, uh, you know, a small compact car. You were going somewhere. You needed to rent a vehicle. Let's say you rented a small, like a mini or something, for uh, to rent for a holiday. It's a good enough car. Good mileage, it'll get you to where you need to go. But let's suppose you go to the car hire place uh, and they tell you that all the minis are in service. And they say to you, would you like an upgrade? And you say to yourself, you know, would I want an of course I want an upgrade. You'd love an upgrade. And so the car rental attendant says, well, looks like the only car we have available is a top-of-the-line Mercedes. Would that be okay? And you think, wow, yeah, that's okay. So you hop into your Mercedes, you... You drive off in style. Let me ask you, does your car get you to your destination any faster? Well, maybe. But you'd certainly get there in a lot more comfort, wouldn't you, in luxury? And when you get out at the hotel, you might even be treated with a little more respect than you would if you pulled up in a mini. See, when Jesus came, he not only came to give us life, but also to give us a life upgrade. Because for life to be abundant has to have abundant resources. And the only unlimited resources for life are in the person of Jesus Christ. An elderly man lived alone in Monaghan. And he wanted to, you know, dig up his sizable potato garden. Uh, but it was hard, you know, back-breaking work. And he was elderly. And his son, who used to help him, was recently sent to jail for robbing cash machines. The old man mentioned that in a letter to his son in jail. He said, I'm not sure exactly what to do. I'm just getting too old to be digging up the stubborn soil anymore. So it looks like I won't be able to plant potatoes this year. A few days later, he received a short note from his son. Dad, for heaven's sake, don't dig up that garden. That's where I buried the money from the cash machines. And at 4 a.m. the next morning, a crew of police officers arrived to find the stolen property, and after digging for hours, they gave up and left. A few days later, the elderly man received another letter from his son. Dear Dad, under these circumstances, that's the best I can do. You should be able to plant your potatoes now. Um, you know, sometimes we're like the stubborn earth, the stubborn soil of the earth, a stubbornness that stands in the way of experiencing a fully transformed life in Christ. And instead of trusting God, Instead of taking his commandments and his promises to heart, we let this flesh take control of our life. We don't allow the garden of our soul, so to speak, to be tilled and to be dug over by the Holy Spirit. And so the fallow soil of our souls remains a potential garden, but over time, a potentially untilled garden will become hardened and joyless and weeds will grow. Of course, you know that. You don't have to do anything to the soil, but weeds somehow will appear miraculously. And we lack the fullness of life that we were created to experience in the first place. You see, abundant life is not for just a few. It's God's norm. It's the meat and potatoes, if you like, of the Christian life. 
And so if we're not living the abundant life, we'll soon find ourselves yielding more and more to the flesh, to the self, to the world, and to the devil, and getting spiritually dizzy and sick on the merry-go-round of the cycle of sin. You know what that's like. See, the fleshly life is circumstance-controlled. That leads to despair. It leads to defeat. But the abundant life is spirit-controlled, spirit-led, like we said three weeks ago, that leads to victory in Christ over sin. Many Christians seem to know everything about life except how to live it abundantly. And though they go through the motions of being good people, good Christians even, they don't seem to be able to demonstrate the, the power, the peace, and the joy that God intends believers to experience. And they're miserable to be, to be around, to be honest. So they live out only an adequate spiritual life instead of an abundant spiritual life. And that's part of the reason, I believe, that the world views Christianity with skepticism. If Jesus promised us abundance, why do we go through life as Christians and appear not much different from our non-Christian friends? Who then ask, what's the difference between being a Christian and a non-Christian? We may have all the churchy words to explain the difference, but the real question is, do we demonstrate the difference in living abundantly? You can be saved, but have a life that's as dry as a bone. Many people who live uh, like that seem oblivious to the fact that their life is in a rut. There's no excitement. There's no overflowing joy. There's no overflowing peace. And they become susceptible to every change in circumstance. Folks, that's not the kind of life that Jesus saved us to live. He saved us to live a life that's filled with his presence, that's filled with his power, that's filled with his glory, a life that overflows into every circumstance, especially when life gets tough. And in that verse in Romans, Romans 15, 13, Paul uses three particular words to declare the characteristics of the abundant life. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, if we're honest, we'd have to say that we spend our entire lives wanting these three things. And while these things can't be bought, yet they are they are the personal present possession of everyone who's, who, who declares faith in Jesus Christ. At least they should be. Abundant life is a life of joy. But you know, when we think of joy, we immediately think of happiness. But real joy is more than just happiness. It isn't slapping a silly grin on your face and walking around like that all the time. It isn't pleasure, like we said earlier, because all of these things are affected by circumstances. When all the situations in life please us, well, yeah, we're happy. But when there are problems, when there are, are situations and difficulties to face, then we can become unhappy. Listen, real joy can't be touched by the circumstances of life. Real joy is a sovereign gift of God himself. And although our circumstances will change, God never changes. And the relationship of life come and go, but our relationship with God never should waver. And in every circumstance, he wants, to give, he wants to give us joy. First Peter 1 and 8, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Can you say when you're faced with the challenges of life, like we discovered when we studied Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is my strength? And then, as we draw this to a close, the, the, the second characteristic of the abundant life is peace, according to Paul. A word that means to join together. It's the exact opposite of the word worry, which means to pull apart. 
The life that's filled with God's abundance is a life that's not pulled apart by worry. Are you a worrier? If you're a worrier, you're not experiencing the abundant life of God. The abundant life is one that rests in the promises and the power of God and in his peace. It knows that whatever may come in life, it's all in the hands of God. He's sovereign to either allow it or to stop it. And it doesn't concern itself with what might happen or what could happen. It leaves the choice in the hand of God, knowing that God is always good and will take care of everything concerning us. And yes, life doesn't always go the way we want it. Corrie ten Boom once said, you know, when you can't trace his hand, when you can't see God's hand in your circumstances, you don't understand what's going on. She says, when you can't trace his hand, you can trust his heart. Because God's good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. And I am his witness. Right? At least we should be. Jesus promised that he would give us. In fact, it was a bequest. It was part of his legacy that he would leave us an inheritance of his peace. My peace I give you, he said, before he left the disciples. And he gave us peace with God when he died for our sins and we received him. And then there's the daily peace of God that we can experience in every situation, regardless of what's happening in our lives today or in the future. Do you know that God's in control, that he'll take care of you? That's the peace of the abundant life. And then finally, the third characteristic is not just joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's not just peace and the peace that passes understanding. But Paul said, the third characteristic of this abundant life is hope. This isn't the wishful thinking of uh, that, 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 that the word hope has come to mean in our, our, our day and age. It's not a kind of a hope so that might be okay. This is a deep, settled conviction based on the truth of the word of God. And as Christians, we have his promises to rest on. And these promises should give us hope. But if we're not reading his promises, then we're not going to have much hope. If you're not a Christian this morning, regardless of what happens to you, no matter how good things may appear on the surface, I have to tell you, you've no hope. You're without hope. But if you're saved this morning, no matter what happens to you, you always have hope because our hope is in God alone. It's a beautiful song. Look it up. I was going to show it this morning. We haven't time. The Cathedral Quartet, a great old quartet of yesteryear, um, sang a song, I'll worship only at the feet of Jesus. Because all the things that, that I tried to idolize and worship just turned to dust. But I'll worship only at the feet of Jesus. And uh, as they introduced the song, George Yons, the bass singer, bass singer, says, it's Jesus only. It's not Jesus plus this or Jesus plus that. It's Jesus only. And only Jesus gives us that hope. And that's why we can sing, as we're going to do in a few moments, the words of in Christ alone with such passion and vigor. Words like these, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled and striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. So how do you get this kind of abundant life? Anybody in their right mind would want it. But the answer is found in two words in verse 13, in believing in believing. Thomas Aquinas once said, faith consists in believing 
when it's beyond the power of reason to believe. To anyone who has faith, no explanation is necessary. And to one without faith, no explanation is possible. Paul says that the abundant Christian life is to be appropriated by faith on the authority of God's word. And it doesn't take much faith to get the job done. In fact, you have more faith than you probably realize. I dare you to try and live a day without it. You couldn't. You wouldn't be able to walk or drive your car or go through the door, or sit in the chair, or turn the lights on or trust anybody without faith. So you have a measure of faith. It's, it's essential to our very existence. And if we exercise such faith in everyday earthly matters, surely we can learn to transfer that faith more and more to God. Even the very faith that we have in the first place is a gift from God. So let's not waste it in worldly living, but living the abundant life. And we obtain that abundant Christian life by obedience to and by faith in God and God alone and by the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit within us. We can't do it ourselves. When God saved us, he placed his spirit within each of us and the Holy Spirit has the power to fill us and give us this abundant life that he has promised us and it will come from him alone. So the question this morning as we conclude and I just invite the worship team to come back, the question really is, do you want to settle for an adequate life, an adequate so-so Christian life? Or are you willing to experience the life that God intends for you and plan for you before you were even born? The abundant Christian life. The choice is yours. The choice is yours. You cannot find it anywhere else except in Christ alone.